0: Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is I, your glorious yet humble host and still ace of Tennessee sports podcasting out there. It is Michael Shibley with you here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast talking all about the wonderful world of sports and professional wrestling. As always, we've got a huge yet glorious and awesome show lined up for you. Again, here we're talking playoffs, we're talking college hoops, we're talking wrestling, we got some finally some big changes and maybe some changes actually happening in the WWE as things goes. We'll see how all that shapes out. I'm excited to talk about it, and of course, you are listening again to Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network, and as always, please help us out by checking out stagediverradio.com, where you can go and you can check out the nice media player, where you can check out all the other great podcasts that we've got including Deadbeat Radio, Half Old J&B's DLC, and more. You can check that out. You can also, of course, check us out on all the places you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play. Check us out there. And, of course, the biggest and most important thing you can do, like, subscribe, share. Give us those comments. Give us those five-star reviews. That's how you help us out and bring us to be bigger and badder than ever. So please help us out there. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley and also on Instagram. You can also like the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page where, of course, we post more stories and news and things going on in the world of sports there. And also, if any type of big sporting news breaks We'll jump in video-wise and do it there, so check that out as well. So, plenty of big stuff for everybody to be paying attention to, where you can follow us and interact with us, because of always, send us your questions, stagediverradio at gmail.com, or call the hotline, 865-888-0109. Leave a question there, I will happily answer it here on the podcast. But let's get in to the nitty-gritty and talk about everything going on In the world of sports and, of course, the lead stuff that's been happening, the NFL playoffs, it's back, it's batter, the ratings have been up, which has been awesome. The games, not so much over the weekend. The divisional round of the playoff usually gets some of the most exciting games, as, of course, you've got a team coming out of a good wildcard win, moving in and facing the top seeds in their place. That's where a lot of these crazy upsets have happened over the years. Not so much happening this week. You look at the first game, the Chiefs and the Colts. The Chiefs 31 to 13. Everybody thought, or a lot of people thought rather that the Colts, you know, coming in, they've been very dominant getting into the playoffs and looked great beating up on the Houston Texans. But the Chiefs just came in finally winning a home playoff game. They had been 0-6. And they're the ones leading up to this one, so they're finally got a home playoff game win, and more people feeling really good about Mahomes and Coach Andy Reid, and maybe being able to finally get to that Super Bowl. We'll see. Of course, we'll preview their matchup coming up here in a minute. But then you move on to the other NFC game, the Rams and the Cowboys. The Rams 30, Cowboys 22. The score really not an indicator of how big of a win that was for the Rams. They came out and looked really good. They were able to run the ball amazingly against the Cowboys, which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people thought was going to happen. The Cowboys had one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL, and the Rams were not that good at stopping the run, but really, when you look at it, Ezekiel Elliott, I think, only had 50 yards of rushing, and he'd been a beast all season long and then you've got the uh, pair of Anderson and Todd Gurley they had 238 combined yards rushing so that was the big difference in that one Jared Goff didn't really even have to do much in the passing game because they were able to run the ball so well so that was something new and different to see so the Rams winning a home playoff game so McVay finally gets himself a playoff win, which is always interesting when you look at everybody's trying to get the next Sean McVay head coach as like a quarterback whisperer, and McVay hadn't even won a playoff game yet, so it was good to finally get him a win to kind of validate that they move on to the championship round, and then of course you look at the matchups on Sunday, you have the Patriots 41, the Chargers 28, which is again a lot closer as the Chargers got some late scores in that one. It was thirty-eight to seven at one point in the third quarter. Tom Brady, you don't mess with him in Gillette Stadium in the divisional round of the playoffs. I think they're twelve and one in that round, especially in Gillette Stadium. Tom Brady was thirty four of forty four for 343 yards passing, no touchdowns. Most of the heavy work went to Sony Michelle, 129 yards, three touchdowns. And it was really interesting to watch Rob Gronkowski as a run-blocking tight end in a lot of these schemes. That was really cool to see, and it was a nice, interesting wrinkle. And, of course, Tom Brady talking about, oh, everybody thinks we suck now. Nobody really thinks the Patriots suck. I think they were thinking there might be some cracks maybe in the armor of the Patriots. But I'm not going to bet against the Patriots until they're done, really. I mean, you think about this, they're unstoppable in the divisional round. That's how they've always been, really. So, the fact now that they're in their eighth straight championship game in the AFC. So, the Patriots are going to be there. Yes, they had some rough patches. One of those losses, though, was that miracle play in Miami where the Dolphins just had their own multiple laterals and Rob Gronkowski couldn't make a tackle. So, when you factor that loss in, it hasn't been that bad for the Patriots this year. Yes, they've had a, things, they've lost some games that they probably shouldn't have lost this season, but they're still in the AFC Championship game and they're not going anywhere. So we'll see, of course, that matchup with the Chiefs. We'll talk about that in a second, but we got to talk about the only game that was really competitive over the weekend, and that was the Saints beating the Eagles 20-14. The big, of course, moment in that one was Alshon Jeffrey, the wide receiver for the Eagles. He had a pass go straight through his hands, and it was intercepted by Marcus Lattimore. That was Lattimore's second interception on the day. And that's what that was late in the fourth quarter, and the Saints were able to run out the clock from there. So you look at that. It was a very competitive game. It was a lot more lower scoring than a lot of people thought it was going to be. The Saints were able to rally and get the win because they fell behind early in this one. The Eagles, the defending champs, go down. But they did go down fighting, so I do send my hats off to the Eagles. Nick Foles finally (laughs) suffers a loss. In the playoffs, he'd had a great run in the postseason. It did look like he was almost saying goodbye to his Eagles teammates and everything because I don't think they can afford to keep both Carson Wentz and Nick Foles anymore. I think uh, Nick Foles is going to try and be a starting quarterback somewhere, and I don't blame him. But again, the biggest thing was Alshon Jeffrey missing that pass. We'll talk more about that in shibbles and bits we've got a whole slew of interesting things and fan reactions and things like that coming up in shibbles and bits so stay tuned there but that sets up some very interesting championship games we've gone shock we've got the one seed versus the two seed on both sides we go first to the AFC championship game the Patriots and the Chiefs this is a rematch from earlier in the season the Chiefs were in Foxborough and lost and You see what happens here, though. The Chiefs still able to get home field advantage, but I'm going with the Patriots in this one. If I had to make a pick right now, I'm going with Tom Brady and the Patriots because, yes, the Chiefs finally got a home playoff win, but I still don't trust them to get it done. Andy Reid has done some great things with the Philadelphia Eagles and and now the Chiefs, but he's been to one Super Bowl. He's been to many championship games, but one Super Bowl and did not win that Super Bowl. So, again, this is going down to what team do I have faith in to go out and get a win on the road? And that's the Patriots, where the Chiefs, yes, they get get one monkey off their back, but I just don't see it at this point. And when that line came out and it showed that the Patriots were a three-point underdog, I jumped on that immediately and put some money down on the Patriots as well I mean I think they're gonna win outright but definitely against the spread I'm going with Tom Brady in that one I just see it that way again the Chiefs could prove me wrong I did pick the Chiefs to get the win over the Colts but I was not fully involved in that one and we'll see how it goes along these lines now you also take a look At the NFC Championship game, you've got another rematch, the Rams, at the Saints. The Saints had already beaten the Rams this season. That's why, again, the Saints had the number one seed. And when you think about it again, I'm going to go with more experience in being in situations like this. I'm going to go with Sean Payton, Drew Brees, getting it done in the Dome. That crowd is going to be very loud and rambunctious and crazy. And I think the Saints had a tougher test against the Eagles in this one than they're going to have against the Rams. So I like Drew Brees and the Saints getting the win, and I've got the Patriots versus the Saints in Super Bowl 53, which would be a great one. It'd be a great matchup no matter which of these four teams, which two of them meet in the Super Bowl. should be a lot of fun to watch. But those are my picks. I've got the Patriots over the Chiefs, and I've got the Saints over the Rams. So Patriots-Saints meeting in Super Bowl. 53. That's going to wrap up the NFL talk for now, but let's move to the hard court and Tennessee basketball. The men, yeah! The women, boo! This has been a, almost a stark contrast to usually what we're used to seeing with Tennessee basketball over the history, but let's start with the men first. They get a win on my birthday, 78-67 at Florida Great matchup. Florida fought tooth and nail. They were ahead for a lot of the game. Big, big atmosphere, of course, down there in the O'Connell Center. The Rowdy Reptiles making a lot of noise. Talk about them here a little bit more in a minute. But let's talk about Grant Williams, 20 points, 9 rebounds. Admiral Schofield, 14 points, 8 rebounds. And he was on the bench for a lot of the four, uh, the second half as he had four fouls. He, I think, sat on the bench with about 10 minutes left to go in the second half, came back with about two minutes left, but hit a dagger three-pointer with around a minute to go to put Tennessee up five, and that kept Florida out of it from there. Lamonte Turner finally starting to get his shooting touch back, had 12 points, and then, of course, Joden Bowden has just made a strong early case for six man of the year. 17 points, but he had 12 straight points for Tennessee when it looked like Florida was getting a lead, and they were maybe trying to extend the lead. Uh, Bowden came out and just did some great things. Hit some threes, got to the foul line, made his free throws, got a steal. He also had a crucial play. He fixed his mistake because he threw late in the game when you do not want Florida to get any type of basket or get a lead or anything like that. I believe the score was tied. Bowden threw a lazy pass, as uh, commentator Jimmy Dykes calls it, a high school hairy pass across the court, which was picked off by Florida. Ran in, the guy takes a three, he misses, and Bowden goes and gets the rebound. So he rectifies his mistake. He said if he didn't get that rebound, he might be driving back with some of the members of the press pool, then coming back on the team bus. And thanks, so good for him with that. He's making, again, a strong case for six men of the year Tennessee the next couple of games back in the friendly confines of Thompson Bowling Arena as they were on the road for the past two against Missouri and Florida they've got Arkansas tonight as of this taping on Tuesday and they are right now a 15 and a half point favorite in that one and then they've got Alabama on Saturday both in Thompson Bowling Arena Tennessee should win both of these games Arkansas has been okay so far this season Alabama did get a win against Kentucky to start SEC play. So you have to have that in there. Some of the other things that came out of this game, one of the things, too, was the Vols. This is an interesting statistic I found. Tennessee is shooting 51.5% from the floor. That's great field goal percentage. The opponents are shooting 37.2% from the floor. So Tennessee's defense has been great. That gap, that 14.3% gap between Tennessee's offensive shooting percentage and their defensive shooting percentage – Is the best in Division One. So Tennessee making their shots and making sure opponents are not making their shots. So great offense and great defense. And that's why Tennessee is number three in the country right now. And depending on how this week goes, Duke losing at home against Syracuse last week, we'll see how far Duke drops. We'll see what happens with Michigan going on. People keep talking about rankings and Tennessee possibly being number one. Honestly, I don't care. Number 1 is great. It's great. Tennessee's been number 1 once, I think. It was for the week after we beat Memphis and then we lost at home or at Vanderbilt and then beat Florida, but of course dropped out of the number 1 spot after that. But really, it's January. What really matters in the NCAA tournament is what you do in March in that tournament. So that's where we need to be a number one ranking. Great. I will be so happy and so proud of the Vols for achieving a number one ranking, but you're going to have to get it done in March. Tennessee has only been to one elite eight, only a handful of sweet 16s really, and never of course been to a final four. So that's what I want to base this team out of, of how big and great this team can be. And I think they can go a long, long way but they got to get it done in March. It's great that they're doing things now, but let's just hold off on those rains a little bit. It's still January. There's still a long way to go in this SEC schedule. So everybody keep your pants on, Vols fans. It's going to be fine. We're going to get into the tournament, and then let's do some damage there. That's what I'm worrying about. Uh, One of the other things, of course, that happened, some controversy, if you would call it that, was at the end of the game, you had Grant Williams and Jordan Bowden and Admiral Schofield Uh, turning to the Rowdy Reptile student section at the end of the game and doing the Gator Chomp back to the Gator students, which was great. There's a great picture. You can check it out. I posted it on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page of the back. So it showed the back of the Tennessee players doing it and in the – then you had them to the Rowdy Reptiles, and then you zoom in, and you can see just how classy, of course, Florida fans are with nothing but middle fingers sitting there right back at them because Florida fans couldn't think of anything else. Some people said it was disrespectful. Admiral Schofield said there were some things said to him, especially during pregame warm-ups, that he didn't appreciate. I don't know what that is. There's no video evidence. I'm, I'm not saying I don't believe him. I, we didn't hear anything about that. So... Who knows? I, I mean, Admiral Schofield, though, is a very honorable guy. I tend to believe what he says if they were saying some inappropriate things. We don't know what those were, but we'll see if anything comes of that. Some people are mad because they're doing the Gator taunt back at them. I've always been of the thing—and again, I've always been of the belief when you lose, say little, when you win, say less. But this is a rivalry game. This is Tennessee, Florida— and if they're chirping at you, it's just like the same thing with Memphis. That's why Admiral Schofield was walking around the arena flashing the Tennessee shirt and flashing the Tennessee logo because it's a rivalry game. That's the, the intensity is high in these games. And if you want to stop Tennessee from doing the Gator chomp to the student section, then make sure the Florida Gators beat Tennessee at home. If you did that, then they wouldn't be chomping at you. So... Just realize that, and guess what? Florida has a chance to redeem themselves because in February, they play in Thompson Bowling Arena. So if Florida is somehow able to beat Tennessee in Thompson Bowling Arena, they can turn right to the Tennessee student section and do the Gator Chomp. And I'm sure most Tennessee fans, as much as I talk about how classy Florida fans are with the middle finger, I'm sure Tennessee, most of my fellow Tennessee fans can't think of anything smarter to do than also return with the middle finger. So... There you have it. I love good rivalry moments like that. Nobody's getting hurt. It's a, just a great rivalry moment. So I'll take that at this point, and hopefully Tennessee fans will just enjoy everything going on right now and not go too crazy with the rivalry. So hopefully they'll kind of calm down with that. Meanwhile, the Lady Vols, ugh, they have gotten, again, there's been precedent set, with the Lady Vols under Holly Warlick and things that had never happened under Coach Summit. And again, I hate having to just keep comparing Holly Warlick to Pat Summit. Pat Summit won eight titles, 1,098 wins, just completely set the bar for coaching in women's basketball. One of the greatest all-time coaches ever. And it's tough to do that. But when you look at what's happened with the Lady Vols, the Lady Vols have had their... First three-game losing streak since 1986, the year before Pat Summit won her first championship. And also, I was three when that happened. Also, their first ever three-game losing streak in SEC play. They lost to Missouri. We talked about that last week, 66-64. That was at home. Lost to Kentucky, 73-71. That was at home. And then you lose on the road at Georgia, 66-62. But you had every chance to win that game tennessee was out in front at halftime and then the third quarter happened and tennessee i think went two for 13 or something like that shooting in the third quarter which you just cannot do no matter what team you are no matter if you're the lady vols yukon or drexel i don't know any any team you don't go two for 13 in a in a third quarter when you're up like that. You make those shots. I don't know why they're not getting the ball to Rena Davis more than they are. She can make things happen. She can collect garbage under the rim, but she can other, do other things. And, again, you don't have to just sit back there and shoot threes. got to drive to the basket and pick up fouls and just, you know, or draw fouls, rather. Get to the free throw line. Get those points. You know, the big the big thing that really happened, too, though, was – the Lady Vols had had a couple of shots blocked there in the last sequence, really, of the game when they're down one. And then there's a ball. They've got a shot. They've got one second left on the shot clock because the ball was blocked and out of bounds. And they get the ball in, and the shot just doesn't get off. They've got the ball, but they don't make... They don't attempt a shot. The shot clock goes off. That That's coaching right there. You have to make your players aware that the second they touch the ball, get it up and out of their hands to shoot it and at least hit the rim to get the shot clock back, if anything else. So that's just very disappointing. Tennessee, meanwhile, they are at Alabama next, and that's on Thursday. They've lost four straight at Alabama, even though Alabama hasn't been a great women's basketball program. They've had problems for some reason winning at Alabama. And then they're at Arkansas or versus Arkansas back in Thompson Bowling Arena on Monday. So hopefully Holly Warlick can get them to turn things around because it is not looking good right now. And I know they're a young team of freshmen and sophomores, but you got to get some players to step up and make some shots and do some things and be a leader. And I think Davis can be one of them. If they could get her the ball more, just get her the ball and get her, to the to the foul line, just do things with her. She's very talented. I would just try and do that. That's just my two cents. But what do I know? I'm just the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting offering an opinion. Speaking, though, of aces, It's great to have someone back on Rocky Top. T. Martin is coming back. He has been the coach at USC for a while uh, in assistant capacity. He was the offensive coordinator for the last two years. He was fired as as Coach Helton had to purge things out there at USC. But he is back on Rocky Top as an offensive staff member. They haven't, as of this recording, highlighted exactly what he is going to be in some capacity. Of course, it might be a Butch Jones situation where he's just kind of like an intern of some kind. But they keep paying him, but so US, USC can keep paying him. Something like that, maybe. But it's just great to have him back. I've wanted him on a coaching staff back on Rocky Top here in Tennessee for a long time. And it's just great to have him back. It just feels good. And again, I think he can do some really good things, maybe with the offense, but also with recruiting. I think he could be a major asset for recruiting, which is great because, again, right now, That's going to be the way you rebuild the program. You get these big five-star recruits to come in on the offensive line and playmakers. You get playmakers in here, and then we can start building wins and getting the scheme and everything down properly. But you got to get the players in. So it's just great to have him back. I've wanted him back again for a long time. I think he deserves it. I think Tennessee fans need to offer T. Martin a lot more respect than a lot of them have really shown because all he did was, you know, have Tennessee win a national championship so I think fans need to be more gracious with him a lot some of the older fans who seem to have a problem with that I'm, I'm just saying that's some of the things I have heard which has been very disheartening to hear but from the bottom of my heart T Martin welcome back to Rocky Top and I hope you do well here and I hope you stay for a long long time One other return here to the football team. Juwan Jennings was making a decision if he was going to go pro or stay for senior year. He's decided he's going to return for his senior season. I think Jim Chaney, the new offensive coordinator had a lot to say about that. So that was awesome to see. He will be a great threat to keep that wide receiver core healthy and get him out there, because I think he could be a big playmaker, especially in Jim Chaney's offense. So that's going to wrap up this first segment. Great to have some great news back on Rocky Top. Thank you guys for staying with me. We'll be back after the break here on Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network. (music) Oh, I'm having a good time here on Modern Day Gladiators. It's the Stage Diver Radio Network, and we're having a great time. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. Your ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. Thank you guys for tuning in. As Inspector Clouseau is, as always, looking for that Pink Panther diamond. He'll find it one of these days, I'm sure. But anyway, it's good to have the theme song to Shibbles and Bits here As, of course, we talk about all the great stuff going on in the world of sports that you might have either missed or didn't hear everything about, so good to have that back here. Let's break it down. Let's first talk about kickers, because there had been some big things happening, and if you'd been following me either on Twitter or you'd been checking me out on our Facebook page for Modern Day Gladiators, you would have seen this, so... Big things were happening when Chicago Bears kicker uh, Cody Parkey missed the 43-yard field goal. It doinked off the upright there in the Bears' one-point loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of fans coming out and blaming him for the loss, despite the fact you know that the defense couldn't stop Nick Foles from driving down the field. Third and nine, fourth and two at those instances. Um You know, the offense couldn't score enough points on their own. You know, you you have those things. No, it's just the kicker's fault, which, by the way, none of the players on the team blamed the kicker. So just remember that. Also, by the way, uh, nobody's really going out of their way to completely go out and send death threats and just immediately blame Alshon Jeffrey for having that ball go right through his hands against the Saints. This last week. So just kind of keep that in mind. And by the way, catching a football, I think a lot easier, especially because he was pretty open in that play. That looked to me a lot easier than kicking a 43 yard field goal. And speaking of kicking, Adam Vinatieri, the NFL's all time leading scorer, by the way. He in his playoff game with the Colts against the Chiefs missed a 23-yard field goal late in the second quarter that would have you know, given them more points and maybe a little bit more momentum going into the second half, or the fact that he missed an extra point in the third quarter. So, and Adam Vendeterio, oh, people are like, well, that was in the snow. Um, he made a pretty famous field goal in the snow when he kicked for New England, if you guys don't remember that one, the old tuck rule game. So keep that in mind. So I'm not the only one who's had issue with these armchair kickers and people who were like immediately tweeting, well, I can make that kick. Wait, hold on. Let me get into character. They're like, I could make that kick, man. Yeah. I used to play division three football 15 years ago and 40 pounds ago. Yeah. I could totally play that. I could totally make that kick. Uh, That guy doesn't know. I mean, that's his whole job is going out there and making kicks. That's all he's getting paid all that money to do. I could do that. So, Goose Island Beer Company in Chicago. By the way, Great Beers from Goose Island. You should check out some of them if they're in your local store. Uh, Great Beers. They also decided that they had had enough of these armchair kickers saying that they could make the kick. They're like, okay, prove it. First of all, they kept saying, by the way, it was tipped. That field goal was tipped. It went through someone's hands. If you look at the video, it was tipped. So just remember that. But what Goose Island Beer Company did over the weekend is they said, okay, we're going to set up a goalpost outside of one of their uh, breweries there in Chicago. And anybody who can come out, sign up, and make the kick, and you get one shot at it, uh, you get an all-expenses-paid trip to any NFL game of your choice in the 2019 football season. 101 people signed up, and they went, oh, for 101, because none of them could make it, because they're not an NFL kicker. I mean, I could go in and explain to all of you people about, you know, how many Newtons of force it takes to kick a ball that far, and where the sweet spot is, or the fact that, you know, 43 yards is a lot longer than a lot of people think. Yes, and I know Trust me. People will come out here, and I'm sure will tweet me and say, "Yes, 43-yard kicks are almost automatic for most kickers." Yeah, shoot, 50-yarders can be almost automatic for a lot of NFL kickers right now. I know that, but there's a lot of other factors. You know, the the, the ball in this kicking challenge that they had, the Cody Parkey challenge, they had. You know, it was like one of those. Things that just holds the ball up for you. So there was no holder. There was no one. There no team rushing. They did have a bar up to kind of resemble a defensive line. So they had that kind of up there as a screen and everything like that. Um, but the guy's not wearing pads. Yes, it was 30 degrees windy and snowy. But again, that's Chicago weather for you. So just keep that in mind. So there were plenty of things... Again, the fact that no one made it just made me happy, and you can check some videos out of some of these people kicking and slipping and falling on their duff, which was wonderful to see. One guy shanked it and hit, I think, one of the staffers in the nuts, so that was pretty funny as well, so... The fact that nobody was able to make it was also good because the uh, brewery then donated $20,000 to Parky's Charity of Choice, which was the Lori Children's Hospital. So instead of having to spend this money and send some, you know, whack idiot who decided that for once, you know, he was able to uh, harness his inner Adam Vinatieri and kick the field goal he uh that nobody made it so they didn't have to spend the money on sending some schmuck uh to any nfl game of their choice and said it went to charity so good for the brewery there and hopefully shuts up some of these people because i'm pretty sure most of the people who said they could make a 43 yard field goal and by the way none of them were able to do that i don't think most of them could probably make an extra point which was only 20 yards i'm talking college extra point by the way there so just simmer on that you know go out into your backyard walk off 43 yards or if you can't 129 feet and make sure the ball is 10 feet above the ground because that's where the crossbar is. And then it's an 18 and a half foot wide base between the goalposts. So just kind of keep that in mind before you just decide to send death threats to a kicker for missing one kick. So just kind of do that, you know, be smart, use your brain for more than sending mean tweets to someone you don't know so but just glad again no one made it that made me very happy uh also nfl news kind of nfl news here uh oklahoma quarterback and heisman trophy winner kyler murray has decided to enter his name into the nfl draft giving him now a choice between the NFL and the Oakland A's, who drafted him ninth overall in the baseball draft for $4.66 million. Yet he was still able to play college football. There's a whole just hypocrisy of problems with the NCAA's rulings when it comes to allowing a player to get a signing bonus like that, but not, you know, I don't know, wash their car on campus or whatever other stupid rules they talk about with impermissible benefits. That's beside the point. It's an interesting choice. We've talked about it on the show before where he's choosing, again, between baseball and football. If he does choose the NFL, yes, the signing bonus, especially if he's going as a first-round draft pick, which a lot of people believe he will be, the signing bonus will be bigger. And again, quarterbacks, they're protected a lot more in the NFL now compared to years ago with the different rules and everything they're making. Though, of course, they're saying 5'9", he would be the smallest NFL quarterback, even smaller than Russell Wilson, who a lot of people also thought was too small. I'm 5'6", so I've been told I was too small for pretty much everything my entire life. So just keep that in mind. If he wants to make a go of it, that's fine. Again, baseball, yes, he's got the $4.66 million. And if you can, and this is a big if, make your way through the minors, which is still going to take two, three years, to work his way through the minors. You know, He's not going to go right up to the top immediately like you would in the NFL where you are on the team and on the main roster pretty much if you're a first-round draft pick. And, yes, the money is guaranteed in baseball. But if he does make it up and can be an everyday player, You know, he could make more money and be there for a lot longer. I do understand that. But if he wants to play football, I'm not going to stop him from playing football. I'm not going to try and talk him out of it. If that's what he loves to do, then by golly, go out and be the best NFL quarterback you can possibly be in the draft. So we'll have to see. He would have to return the baseball money, though, by the way. That's not just a gift that the Oakland A's uh, gave him. So We'll just kind of see what decision he makes going forward. But I do – I wish I had that option between getting millions of dollars to play one sport and millions of dollars to play another sport. That would be the the dream scenario for me. I, I guess that's how Kenny Omega feels right now with the WWE and All Elite Wrestling in New Japan bidding for him and his services. But that's a, a story for the wrestling block. Uh, but anyway, have that choice and feel like the bell of the ball, that's got to be a nice feeling. So – Best of luck to Kyler Murray. We'll see what happens in the months to come as we move toward the NFL draft. Some good news uh, from something we talked about last week where Mayori Davenport, for those of you who didn't listen last week, she, uh, again, uh, helped lead her team, uh, Charles Henderson High School in Alabama, to a state title, their first state title ever as a junior. Uh, She played for USA Basketball in the Under-18 FIBA World Cup, uh, helped them win a gold medal, and the USA basketball sent her a stipend to help cover costs and different things that they, they do. Um, but USA basketball made a clerical error in the fact that they did not check the Alabama high school state athletic association or whatever they're calling themselves because they realized that you couldn't send them that much money once they realized the error. And by the way, Davenport herself was not making any of these errors. These are all adults that are screwing this up. She had nothing to do with any of this. She returned the money, but the Alabama High School Athletic Association ruled her ineligible because they're like, well, if we make an exception for her, you know, her we're going to have to make an exception for anybody. I don't know how many of these exceptions you really have to make, but again, the adults were the ones... She didn't make this mistake. USA Basketball made this mistake. And again, she's the... I think, a top 15 recruit. She's committed to Rutgers uh, to play college basketball. It's not going to ruin her college eligibility. So the WNBA has weighed in on this, USA Basketball. Jay Billis, who's also a lawyer and a great ESPN commentator, they've all weighed in on this. And, I mean, I've weighed in on it last week. Well, they did decide to, um, on Davenport's behalf, there was a lawsuit filed to get, A judge to rule on this and meanwhile the judge has granted an emergency uh motion to allow Davenport to play while this works through the court system and she got to play last Friday night scored 25 points in in Charles Henderson High School's 72 to 17 win over Carroll High School for those of you not familiar with girls' high school basketball, that score is not that outrageous. I've seen it happen. I used to call high school basketball. I've seen games like that or worse in girls' high school basketball sometimes. Um, They would have said how many uh, rebounds and assists, but they lost track. I'm assuming the score ran out of fingers and toes and couldn't get enough people to help him. It is Alabama, so, you know, they got to count some things still on their fingers and toes down there. Come at me. Twitter, Michael underscore Shively. Come at me all day long. But, again, really, with the Alabama High School Athletic Commission, right now at this point, they just need to let her play. You've made, you made your point. Let her play. This is the best way to save face and just say, okay, you made your point. She didn't get to play for a couple of games. Now just let it go because, really, once this thing works through the court system, the high school basketball season is going to be over anyway. So just keep that in mind. And one last bit. Here, this is just some fun bit, uh, as the Clemson football team was uh, honored at the White House. They had a dinner that was going on, but because of certain things going on with the government shutdown, uh, President Trump uh, ordered fast food for the ceremony. We went off and uh, we ordered American fast food paid for by me, as Trump said did not to close the uh, the tab. Lots of hamburgers, lots of pizza. So um, I think uh, they like it better than anything we could give. Sportswoman uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said much of the staff who work in the White House residence have been furloughed due to the shutdown. So the president is personally paying for the event to be catered with some of everyone's favorite fast foods. So everybody's having, you know, poking fun at this, a lot of stuff. Um, the Tigers, the Clemson Tigers did visit in June 2017 uh, after their championship run in the previous season, uh, the White House served a barbecue lunch. Star wide receiver Hunter Renfro called it, at the time, the best meal I've had in a year. So, you know, you've got those all those different things. Honestly, people are shocked by all the hamburgers and pizzas and fast foods, but honestly, if you look at the shape our president is in, I figure he's eating that all the time and just has fast food on speed dial there to the White House. So that's my opinion, really, when it comes to that, so... Just think about that a little bit as we go on. But that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys for listening there. But let's talk a little pro wrestling and let's get a little more music back in here for this. This should be fun. We'll see. Hopefully the ad doesn't play (laughs) before it. But let's talk a little WWE. Let's get in the ring and talk. Let's get it to play here. There it goes. Can you hear the heartbeat? I can hear the heartbeat. It's coming. Everybody, look out. Catch your breath. <laughs> oh, those wrestling fans know what this is. It's coming. Catch your breath. Because, again, I still am man in the arena, so we're going to talk some wrestling here on Modern Day Gladiators, as always. But we got to get this song playing. Hit that music! <laughs> ah, yes, Finn Balor's theme. Catch your breath here on Modern Day Gladiators. Finn Balor had himself a weekend. First NFC takeover, Blackpool happened. Some really good matches. You should check this out if you've got the WWE Network. You had Zach Gibson and James Drake defeating Mustache Mountain to win the NF- NXT UK Tag Team Championships. Finn Balor uh, replaced an injured Travis Banks. Uh, and who came out and defeated Jordan Devlin in a very good match? Dave Mastiff and Eddie Dennis battled to a no DQ. I don't know why I'm doing the hand signals. You guys can't see it uh, <laughs> because this is an audio podcast. Uh, you have a new women's champion in the UK NXT brand as Tony Storm defeated Rhea Ripley in a match there. Honestly, I think Tony Storm should be on the main roster. I think it's better than some of the other debuts that just got made on Monday Night Raw, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, And then you had Pete Dunne continue his 600-plus-day championship reign as UK champion, defeating Joe Coffey in a wonderful 30-minute match. That was a great match. And what's happening, and probably the guy who's going to end Pete Dunne's reign, Walter, all caps, uh, debuted confronting Dunne after the match. So a lot of good things happening on the WWE uh, NXT UK brand. So check that out if you get a chance. Meanwhile on Raw, Finn Balor, whose music here, Finn Balor has become your number one contender for the Universal Championship in a fatal four-way match. Uh, He won that, pinning John Cena, of all people, uh, and also beating Drew McIntyre and Baron Corbin. Uh, The reason for a new number one contender match was that Braun Strowman Uh, busted up Vince's limousine chasing after Baron Corbin. Vince was not happy about it, so he told Baron Corbin, guess what, your match has been canceled with Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble, so we needed a new number one contender. Braun Strowman, of course, being the monster among men, flipped over uh, Vince's limo. Uh, Very unhappy about that. But all these guys came out uh, saying, telling Vince, I deserve to be number one contender and to face Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. So Finn Balor, first he had to defeat Jinder Mahal, who thought he should also be in it, but then Finn Balor back into the Fatal 4-Way, and then again, as I said, hitting the coup de grace and finishing John Cena and becoming the new number one contender and will face Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble, which should have happened months or years ago at this point because Finn Balor was the first Universal Champion beating Seth Rollins for it at SummerSlam a few years ago but again, again, tearing uh, his labrum, I believe, in his shoulder in the match so had to surrender the title the night after that but he never got another shot at it. He's never had a one-on-one match with Brock Lesnar to try and win his Universal title back. So, it's great to see that. Also, the reason Braun Strowman... taken out of the match. It looks like his elbow has still not recovered fully and will be ready in time for the Royal Rumble. So they're going with this one. Some other big things happening on Raw. The women's tag team titles were announced. Uh, Beautiful belts. Take a look at them if you get a chance. Check it out on the interwebs. Uh, There's going to just be, it looks like the tag team champions for the women's division will bounce between Raw and SmackDown, which I think is great. I kind of wish they'd do that with both and the men's tag team championship. You're going to have tag teams in the Elimination Chamber, and whoever wins that one is going to be the inaugural women's tag team champions. So that's cool. Bobby Lashley is your new Intercontinental Champion as he won a triple threat match uh, with Ambrose and Seth Rollins in that one. Leo Rush, of course, got involved plenty in that one as we fade out Finn Balor, which was great. I love having (laughs) some new theme songs every once in a while playing here. On modern day gladiators. And then of course one of the things. Big things that happened again. Showing change. Raw was better overall. Because it seemed like the three hours was not just a. Just a waste of time. For most of it. It got a lot better. You had finally these NXT call up debuts. Finally happening. On the main roster, so they've been showing the same stupid video package for it seems like a month now. But EC3, Nikki Cross, Heavy Machinery, and Lacey Evans all debuted on Raw. The interesting thing, and I'm a big thumbs down for me on this, was the fact that only Nikki Cross was involved in a match. Uh, Bailey and Natalya needed to find a partner to face the Riot Squad, so they get Nikki Cross. Uh, and then Nikki Cross didn't even get the pinfall. She did her finishing neckbreaker move that she's got, Twisted Sister, whatever she's calling it. Uh, but then Bailey drops the elbow to get the win. So that was a little upsetting. That it, I mean, if you've got a, someone with a big debut, you usually want them to get the pinfall win in that. Meanwhile, the rest of the debuters, EC3 was just in the line outside of Vince's office. He looked at the camera, smiled, and walked off. That was his debut on Raw. Lacey Evans was just talking backstage to Dana Brooke and and somebody else. I can't even remember at this point as Finn Balor walked by. That was Lacey Evans' debut on Monday Night Raw. And then during the Moment of Bliss segment uh, where Alexa Bliss is interviewing Paul Heyman, uh, Heavy Machinery, uh, Dosevich, popped up making just weird noises like from behind the tag titles, making weird noises and... His partner had to come and grab him and take him off and be apologetic. That's how these teams debuted on Raw. Usually when you get a guy debuting, they come out, look great in their first match, and get the win in a big way. But that was not the case with these guys. And I know there's a lot of them, but that's still just not the way you want to debut talent. So... We'll see. Hopefully, maybe one of them will be a future world champion. I don't know. We'll see how that all happens. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, check us out on Facebook and, of course, on across all social media platforms and, of course, on anywhere you get your fine podcasts as well as stagediverradio.com. And, of course, as always, like, subscribe, share, Give us those five-star reviews. That's how we get bigger and badder than ever. So if you can give us those five-star reviews on whatever platform you listen to, I sure would appreciate that. But until next week, I'm Michael Shibley. I will see you next time. Too sweet. Love ya. Bye.